Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Snap is intended for mature audiences. This episode contains mentions of hazing, vomiting, and assault. Please use discretion when listening. To access episode transcripts, consider joining our Patreon at just $2 a month. These transcripts have a key at the top with the names and schools of every speaker, so I highly recommend if you want the ultimate follow-along experience. Check them out on patreon.com snapped. For additional details about Snapped, visit snappedthepodcast.com and don't forget to follow us on social media at snappedthepodcast. When I was 18 years old, I became an Alpha Phi sister at the University of Maryland. Three years after disaffiliating from the chapter and three days before graduating college, I released the first season of Snapped, a tell-all podcast series about my sorority experience. Since the release of season one, I've interviewed 40 current or former Greek Life members, including some Greek Life adjacent individuals. These are their stories. I'm Lucy Taylor, your host and favorite excommunicated sister. This is Snapped. Snapped. We were at Parents Weekend and we sat in on a Greek Life session. The man who was running it said, you know, gave the the whole, you know, we don't have hazing at our school. And parent after parent were raising their hands saying, well, my son's being hazed. This individual was like, who? Who is it? Did did they report it? Because if they didn't report it, it didn't happen. So they told you from the beginning that you guys cannot tell anyone what's going on. Of course, it's like they even made it sound like by doing this, there's like a bond that, that you're taking on. They were very adamant on never allowing the university to know what went on in the house. Like there was rules in the beginning. It was like, yeah, you're not allowed to tell anybody. We're always like, I don't want to say on our toes, but it's the reality of the situation. Like it's just like we kind of, I don't want to say have a contingency plan, but like we're always kind of on our toes and like ready to rebut. And did you guys ever discuss what would happen if you did get caught? Just deny everything. That's literally the law of the land. It's just the three Ds. Deny, deny, deny. These hands don't haze, they educate. The DFSL, OSC comes knocking to say, nope, none of that happens to us. Deny. But as another parent sitting in that audience, you knew that hazing was going on. 
but you didn't know what organization because no other parent there was going to say their son's organization for fear of repercussions. And so just to go over um, things again, I'm being kept anonymous because again, that also that is also something that could get us in trouble with the university. And so I don't want to be the reason if we get in trouble or whatever for that. Just as stones throw away from sorority world, exists a land of even greater influence. A land where social chairs act as security guards, and individuals must be able to name at least five brothers before getting past the kingdom gates. That's right, snappers. Welcome to fraternity world. To be honest, I'm still shocked that we managed to get past those gates as there was a time I didn't think we'd get here. My first interview with a frat bro was with a chapter president who had tried, but failed, to eliminate hazing from his chapter. A few weeks after our conversation, the frat brother retracted his interview out of fear of getting his fraternity in trouble. I would play this interview now, but... I don't know, Snappers, there's just something about the H-word. So, what are you allowed to do then? Um, in terms of, like, what? Hazing. Um, again, I can't get into too many specifics there. At the national level, all fraternities claim that they strictly prohibit hazing. Zero tolerance. Nationals brags about being champions of change, allegedly working to remove the practices their own members keep secret. But we all know it's happening, so let's talk about it and examine the fraternity hazing process. My first interview about fraternity hazing that didn't get retracted was with a recent graduate from the University of Maryland. So my name is Max. Max was swindled into fraternity world when someone in his dorm invited him to a rush event. They describe it as it's like a um, beer, burrito, and blunt rush event. And I was like, oh, shit. Free beer, free food, free weed. I'm in. Might as well just go. And so we mosey on down. And from the start, it already is just kind of funny because it's just like you get teamed up, you get a case of beer, you get a you have a, a a bowl from Chipotle, and then they had a blunt. And so then it was like, all right, they they explained it. They were like, we're gonna do this as like a a race competition. We're gonna see which team can finish all three of these between four people first. And I thought that was funny, and I like, I kind of liked it. So it was like, from the start, it's like a game show, honestly. It's like, you're on Survivor or something, and it's like, this is your challenge. You're like, do you accept your challenge? Max described the first hazing challenge as funny. And at a glance, it could be. A lot of hazing looks innocent, to the point where brothers don't even consider it to be hazing. Depending on how you define, like, the word hazing, most of the, like, most of what is like real, like you will get in trouble or like legally bad hazing is stuff that we don't do. Like they're like, they know that there is a very defined line. Like, again, 
I didn't drink a single drop of alcohol throughout my entire flagship. Some guys even bragged that they didn't get hazed. They just had to do a bunch of stupid shit. One example of this stupid shit is something called a puppy text. Here, a former frat social chair from the University of Maryland will explain. When you pledge, there's this thing called a puppy text, where you have to send a list of, like, 10 girls, the same 10 girls for the entire time you're pledging. Every morning, the weather, a picture of a puppy, a motivational quote, the song of the day, and outfit advice based off the weather. When I was a sorority pledge, during our new member meetings, we would sometimes have frat pledges serenade us. Like, they would be all dressed up in suits. One of them sometimes had a rose or some shit. And they'd sing these mashup songs and sometimes, like, change the lyrics. And we'd be like, oh, so cute. <laughs> but what I didn't realize back then is that hazing is on a spectrum. And that stupid shit, like puppy texts and serenades, are still hazing. I don't know if they even realize it. All of that leads up to something worse. Like, when I was going through the pledging process, it started out as, like, we would put the flag up at 8 a.m. And at 9 p.m., we went to the house and cleaned the house. Like, the first day of pledging was just... Starts off small. Starts off small. That was Cordell, a former Penn State student who was in Beta Theta Pi. Cordell goes on to explain... Starts off small. It weaves you in. And it leads up to something very much worse until until it gets so it gets to the point where you forget what's even going on you don't even realize how bad it is one of the books i read while researching for this podcast is terror love and brainwashing by alexandra stein in this book i learned that in cultic groups the control can start off small with the most mundane areas of life this made me think of my sorority's point system for example where we took pictures every time we were studying in the library so that we would get enough points to go to formal. So like every time I would study, I'd have to take a picture and be like, look, I'm studying. A majority of frat hazing takes place in the capital of fraternity world, the basement, where the rules of society simply don't apply. In Max's fraternity, they called their basement the hole. Oh, in the hole in one corner, there was like a little like circle thing that I think was part of like the sewage system of the house or whatever. And that was like our bathroom. We would just pee into that thing. You like couldn't really leave the hole unless like you like got called upstairs usually. We had, a, we would, of course, many nights we had to sleep in the hole and such. For most of the time in pledging, we would have to show up every day by 6 p.m. If you got there late, and the pledge master came down, saw that someone was missing, you get in trouble. So I, I remember literally booking it sometimes to try to catch a bus to get on the bus and get down there by six. Remember one time, like, I would just, like, be really stressed and, like, I'm like, I cannot miss this bus. I missed it at the one stop and literally just chased the bus by foot, sprinting alongside of it and caught up with it at the next stop and got on. What is this, the amazing race? A lot of times it would be, like, trying to cram in some homework because we knew we had other shit that was coming for us. And then we get like little missions, you know, little orders like, okay, like you two go to this house and clean there. And then we would just have, sometimes we just get the, the classic getting lined up, you know? I think this is something that most fraternities have experienced, but in varying degrees. Most of the time it would take place in the hole. You would have to line up on the wall, You'd have to like memorize things about your pledge mates and 
the brothers, you get quizzed every time you got something wrong, you get ridiculed, you have to do push-ups. What do they say to ridicule you? Why don't you know his birthday? Like, do you not care about him? Like, do you know, is he, like, do you not care about your brother? Like, how could you forget? How do you not know the name of this brother's mom? And they'd make you do push-ups? Oh, yeah. They'd make us do push-ups on this shitty, wet, gross concrete, and you'd have to do it on your knuckles, too. No hands. A lot of push-ups like that, a lot of other just workouts, wall sits. But instead of encouraging you, it would be like, you're fucking weak. Like, you can't even do this many push-ups. It'd pretty much be like, don't you want to have a better body? Don't you want to be strong? Or like, what if you have to, like, defend your brother? You have to back up your brother. Like, you need to be strong, right? According to Professor Nick Surrett, who has studied the history of Greek life, Hazing is a literal test of the male body to prove masculinity. So sorority world is training you on how to be the epitome of a lady, and fraternity world is training you on how to be the epitome of a man. Max goes on to say, There was one night where they brought down all these cereal boxes and they just dumped all these boxes of cereal on the table. And at first they were like, all right, make us a picture with all of this cereal. Like, that was just to kill time because they were like upstairs just drinking, getting drunk, having a time, waiting for the, some of the other brothers to come through. Some of the brothers, I don't know whether this was planned or not. I think it might be part of it, but like one or two of the brothers would kind of be like kind of on your side, kind of be like a little informant. They come down and be like, they'd be like, yo, like this is about, this is what's about to happen. Like you need to start doing this now, like to make it easier for yourselves. So I remember someone else coming down and being like, they're about to come in and like mix a bunch more stuff in here. And you guys are going to have to eat all of this before you leave. So like start now. So we would go and we start taking handfuls of cereal or whatever and start putting it in the bricks of the wall, dropping it behind the wall into, into crevices. And eventually, like, a lot of the brothers come downstairs, but they just start mixing in all different kinds of stuff in with the cereal, like jalapenos, cat food, baby formula, and they'd be, like, pouring milk on it. And then, like, they mix it all up, and then, like, we turn around, and it's just, like, this literally a mountain, like, a giant mound of just gross food mush shit with cereal as the base and then it was just like that challenge was just like all right you um gotta eat all of this now you have to eat every last bit of it before you're done for the night like this is it and it's just like oh my fucking god so at first we're just like what no no fuck this and they're like no you're gonna fucking eat this shit um and we're like all right fuck it yeah, we were eating that shit all together, yakking it up into trash cans together. But then it gets to a point where they're like, all right, like, no more throwing up. If you're going to throw up, you have to throw up back into the pile. So no one was throwing up at first. Like, everyone was holding, like, holding it in as fucking best as you could. Like, you're giving all your fucking ability, willpower to try to do this. And then we're, like, so close, and one of the mans just yaks right into the pile. And it's just stop for a second. Everyone just stops and was like, so what are you guys? They're like, kind of like, what are you guys going to do? You guys got to finish this. Like, and so, yeah, I think that was where I was like, oh my fucking gosh, no fucking way. But then one of the other, one of the other kids in the punch house just grabs a handful and just fucking goes for it. The brothers were just like shook. They were like, oh, and then like a couple of the other guys went for it. And I feel like maybe grabbed a handful and kind of pretended to could not do that shit. 
I felt so horrible. I've never felt so gross and worse before in my life. I remember just sitting outside the house for like half an hour, just like continuing to throw up. Just like after all of it was over, it was just like it was not even over because you just felt so because we had literally eaten so much of that shit. And that was one of the worst nights, but definitely not even the worst. Let's pause and reflect on everything that's happened so far. Besides going to class, Max has been spending all of his time in the hole. This means that there's no time for Max to hang out with his non-frat friends or make new friends who are outside of the frat. In Terror, Love, and Brainwashing, Stein notes that in cultic groups, the people you love are pushed out and replaced by the leader or group as the new and sole focus of your emotional commitment. Additionally, Stein explains that secrecy is a powerful control mechanism in many areas of group life, but it functions particularly well to establish isolation early on. Like there was rules in the beginning. It was like, yeah, you are not allowed to tell anybody about your experiences. Like do not tell anybody. So this means that the only people that you're talking to about the hazing is the people who are undergoing the same indoctrination. And those fellow group members are saying things like, "Don't worry, it will, it will all be over when we when we initiate. It's gonna be all over." That was Tom, an alum from the University of Maryland. This is why Tom's pledge brothers told him not to worry. So yes, we got hit a couple of times. Like, you got hit. Yes, first it was punches. So like, we were all in line and then of course like for us we had to learn the history of our frat and we were tested every single week about that like if you got something wrong you got punished so like i remember one time this brother came in was drunk as fuck and then i remember when it came to me i got socked in the stomach but then really looking back to it I was just really asking myself, why didn't I just sock him back? Like, why didn't I fight back? Because I can't believe how I really allowed myself to be put in that situation. Tom blames himself, like many who have been hazed or otherwise victimized. Often, society blames them too. But saying things like, how could you let someone haze you like that? severely oversimplifies what is a long process of indoctrination. In Terror, Love, and Brainwashing, Stein explains that fear is a powerful stimulus. And frats do an excellent job of having fear be looming at all times. Fear of being yelled at, fear of being socked in the stomach, fear of being the reason your frat gets kicked off campus. Stein notes that the combination of isolation and fear creates a disassociated follower with a disorganized attachment to the group. During disassociation, the right emotional feeling side of the brain cannot communicate effectively with the left thinking side of the brain. So the thinking part of the brain can't think, this is a dangerous situation, leave. I eventually thought about the brothers who, I didn't have a good relationship with them even after the process. Because, like, the thing was, it was all an act, they said, like, afterwards. It was like, no, hey, don't take it too harsh, man, back that time. It was just all an act. 
even though it was an act, like it seemed so real. Like you did real things to those people. Like because I felt genuine anger and embarrassment. Snapped. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job; it's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov/careers. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me. What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Fraternity members are bound by a code of silence. But actions speak louder than words. Like in the dorms, for example. Did anyone else's freshman fling go MIA because they were pledging? Because mine did, and from there on out, all I got was blacked out texts from him telling me I have no idea how busy he is. The people you used to see every day will eventually notice the change. I spoke with Elena, a former University of Maryland student who wasn't in Greek life, but dated a frat member while he was pledging. We didn't see each other like every single day, maybe, but like, you know, you see the person that you're dating and then like all of a sudden he was gone. I mean, immediately he would have to be at one of the houses every single day at like five or six o'clock and was staying until like one or two in the morning. I was getting calls at like random times during the day, like on the weekends to like, come clean, come do this, come do that. Eventually got to a point where I was very concerned. And like, I was staying up until like one or two in the morning every night to make sure that like he got back and was like, okay. And there were other guys on my floor who were pledging places that would come back with like cat food in their hair, like drunk out of their minds. And I'm like, what is going on? But it like, you know, I would talk to him and be like, I don't know how you're doing this and I don't like this. And he would defend them, which was super frustrating for me and was super hard for me to understand because I was like, how do you enjoy the people that are making your life and also my life a living hell right now? And he was like, well, they're my brothers and like this and that. I was like, what kind of Stockholm syndrome crap is going on? What kind of cult crap is this? There was one night I was sitting in my room doing homework. I went to the bathroom. And I came back from the bathroom and he was standing in my room with some random guy who was like, are you Elena? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, they told me to bring him here. And like, literally, he's a very tall person, like very, very tall. And this man left, this guy who brought him back and he fell on my floor and I couldn't get him up. Like I called, I had to call two of my, two of my best friends, like to get him up and make sure that he was okay. And then the next morning, I swear to God, he got up and went 
to another event for the fraternity. Like, got up and went to do a scavenger hunt in D.C. And I was like, are you seriously leaving? And he was like, yeah, I have a thing. I have to go to the thing. Elena was flabbergasted. Why wouldn't her boyfriend just ask for a day off? Probably because he knew that if he refused, his brothers would be the ones left to face the consequences. Cordell, our brother at Penn State, learned this lesson the hard way. The one time he took a bong or something and there's like marijuana residue at the bottom of it. And he walks up to me and he says, okay, here, Pledge, I chug this. And I was, I I know, no. Mm -hmm. And the next day we had this lineup and um, he goes, okay. And now since Cordell didn't do what he was told last night, we're going to have the milk jug challenge. So it was me and like five other pledges. We had to go to the gas station and buy a gallon of milk. And we had to go in the basement. First, they brought down trash cans. They're like, you're going to need these. And we had to chug it. And that that really induces your gag reflex. So we were throwing up into trash cans. And then they took away the trash cans. They said, okay, now throw up on the floor. You had to take your shirts off and... And then you have to clean the throat with your shirt. And you just put the shirt back on your body. They said, whoever wins this round doesn't have to go to round two. So I chugged the milk the fastest. So round two, they had to go back to the gas station, get another gallon of milk. And then they had to go to the bathroom upstairs. And then they had to throw up on top of each other. Uh-huh. I was forced to watch it. I was the reason that they had to go through this because I said no. So they were punishing the group. Punishing everybody in their own bizarre ways. Yes. There was a slogan in Fraternity House, which was, think about beta. Yeah. Don't think about what's best for you. Think about what's best for the frat. Because nobody wants to disappoint their friends. Or if you're being hazed, make their lives harder. Former Penn State student James Vivencio told a grand jury that if someone quit pledging and left the fraternity... The hazing became worse for those who remained behind. And like they really try to emphasize that you're doing everything together. Like everyone is trying to like sharing the burden in a way. There's this feeling built that we have to all stick in this together. Like there was so much pressure to stay in. Like this one guy was clearly suffering a lot mentally, like not just from the pledging, I mean, which definitely takes its toll, but like just other life circumstances. It was hard to like deal with anything else in life because it really became like, this is your life. And eventually he kind of just, you know, could not take it anymore. He had to like, I think, completely drop out of school even for that semester. At that point, too, it was like we we kind of felt betrayed because there was this immense pressure to like stay in it together. And knowing that if one person dropped, like we would kind of get punished for that. And it would be like more of a workload for the rest of us. Tom from UMD described something similar. My, my pledge brothers wanted to just drop. We, we like spoke amongst ourselves, like, how can we make sure he doesn't drop? Like, no, we're going to get in trouble. So let's make sure he doesn't drop. So it wasn't the job of the pledge master, but more on us of the class, the, our pledge brothers to make sure the, they stay because we could get in trouble for that. Cordell described how this played out when he was a pledge. There was one night of hazing in particular when I was still a pledge. And we had a lineup where it was about racism in the fraternity house. And somebody grabs a megaphone and he takes it and he screams, why does any of this matter? Cordell's not even black. 
So when that happened, I, I left the house and I was planning to never come back. At 4 a.m., I wake up, people knocking on my door, slamming on my door. I open the doors to my pledge brothers and they say, Cordell, we all we really love you and we really want you to continue to become a member of the fraternity. We don't, they're saying we, what he did isn't a picture of the house. Um, I, it still took me a while to decide to come back and it's, I wish I didn't, but I went back. In James Vivenzio's case, the hazing became so extreme that he reached out anonymously through an online hotline to report it. Within five hours of reporting to Penn State, he received a text from the fraternity president in a group chat, demanding to know who had reported the frat. As a result, the hazing worsened and now included interrogations about who reported the hazing. The frat even started tracking the pledge's locations on their phones and obtained copies of everyone's class schedule. Between 8 a.m. and 10 p.m., if you weren't in class, you were at the frat. In one text that James provided to the grand jury, the frat president said, You are all fucked. I literally can't wait till my exams are over this week so I could dedicate my free time to destroying your lives, dignities, and removing your fucking souls out of your bodies. You do whatever you want whenever you want. Who the fuck are you to question brothers or say no? The only words that should come out of your mouths are yes, sir. You are all too comfortable. You're fucking slaves. Do you think slaves have say in what their masters say? Max's pledge class also faced interrogation about a hazing report. Remember earlier in the episode when Max talked about his worst night of hazing? Yeah, here's that. One day, they just, like, called us, like, emergency to the house. They are like, you need to come here now. Like, we're fucking pissed. That was always the scariest thing is when they would tell you, like, this dude is fucking pissed. Basically, as the members of our pledge class are getting there, they're telling us that our pledge master has been arrested and, like, taken to jail because someone reported him for hazing us. And then they're like, one of you fucking talked. Like, someone's going to, like, try and bail him out right now. My fucking friend is in jail because one of one of you fuckers, like, they would just be like, well, if none of you are going to talk, then you're all just going to, like, do push-ups. You're all going to do workouts until someone remembers and figures it out, like, figures out how he got arrested. So it's like they're just trying to get you to break, like they say who you might have talked to about it. And at some point, like we all say, like, you know, like, uh, like, oh, I might have like said something to a friend and they'd be like, you know, like, oh, so you did tell people like you actually did tell people about this. OK, now you're fucked. Get, you know, get back on the wall. That went on for a, that whole rest of that day through the night. We got hazed like almost the whole night. At some point, we just fucking are so exhausted. We crash just on the floor in the hole. Someone just comes down early in the morning, wakes us up, just fucking yells at us, just like, hey, because they told us you're not allowed to go to sleep tonight. But we did. But then he comes in and he's like, I th told you not to sleep. Like, you better not be fucking sleeping right now. Like, I'm going to be back down here in 20 minutes. You better be on the wall. Like, throw some shit at us. They would, like, throw shit at you sometimes, too, yeah. There was, like, actual, like, cases of, like, straight-up assault and, like, fucking shit now that I think about it in there. Like, even if they're not trying to do it, they're just trying to scare you. Like, it ends up happening, you know? Like, fucking their grip slips on some shit and it actually ends up being thrown at you or whatever. 
But with this, they were straight up uh, waterboarding us. When you put a shirt or like a rag over someone's face and then pour water, you like can't breathe for a second. You're just kind of like, <laughs> you're like, fool. At one point, they were like, all of you get into the shower, like in the bathroom. We're all blindfolded too. We all couldn't see or anything. We're all just like, they let us blind into there. And then they like call for us one by one to come out. They would bring us back downstairs one more time. They, everyone would fucking yell at you. Everyone would be getting in you. They would take off the blind. And they'd be like, ah, who the fuck did you tell me? Like, and then they're like, you know what? Fuck it. We're done with you. Like, get the fuck out of our house. If you're not going to tell us, then you're done. You're out of the frat. Like, get the fuck out. And then they kind of like push you like up and out of the stairs and like get the fuck out and like and there was like the door right there right and just throw you out you're outside pull off the blindfold sun shining and then like there's your big <laughs> it's like hey you did it <laughs> They're like, wow, dude, and it's like, there's a few of them chilling out there, and they're like, oh, that's your big now, like, just like, oh, fuck, like, you're so disoriented. And then you're just like, okay, whoa, okay, I guess this is lit. invite you to rally behind Snapped and help amplify the voices that have been silenced for far too long. You can support this season of Snapped by buying our merch, joining the Patreon, or donating directly, which you can all do at snappedthepodcast.com. Another way to support this podcast is to spread the word. Snapped is a goddamn independent podcast with no network backing. So please, please, please share Snapped to your story, send it around in group chats, and tell your neighbor. Just tell them. Greek organizations actively work to silence victims, making it even more crucial that this podcast reaches a wide audience. And in order to do that, we need to be as loud and just as in the PNM's faces as Alpha Fee's recruitment music videos. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Snapped. In Terror, Love, and Brainwashing, Stein notes that 
It is a particular form of leadership and the social and belief structures that flow from it that set up the conditions in which followers can be manipulated into certain types of cultic behaviors. The structure must be one in which the alternation of love and threat can take place. While you're going through pledging, most of the brothers just kind of have this front of like, we don't, we don't care about you at all. But like one or two of the brothers would kind of be like kind of on your side. When I was going through the pledging process, it started out as like the pledge master was sort of our friend. Sometimes there's two pledge masters or the pledge master has an assistant. The other wants to comfort you, I guess. But the other one was just on the wild side. Good cop, bad cop. I found a post on fraternity Reddit from five years ago that asks, I just got elected pledge master of my fraternity. Any advice, tips, or tricks from any past or present pledge master out there? Frat TA 101 responds saying, If your chapter with a pledge master is the pledge's best friend and the rest of the actives are assholes, then be their best friend. If the chapter is the best friend to pledges, then be the asshole you need to be. And sororities pull this shit too. Like one second they're like, you're all a bunch of drunk whores. And then the next second you get a fucking huge gift basket and there's your big. They were straight up uh, waterboarding us. And then like, there's your big. (laughs) Snapped. The tradition of hazing stays alive through a victim to perpetrator cycle. So naturally, Tom from UMD, who was once hazed, eventually grew up to become the hazer. The pledges would be there. We'd want to give them that, like, fear. We want them to show that, hey, we're serious about this. We're serious about what they're going through and what we're putting them through. It was just like we already knew what the he- what's going to go on because we went through it. It's like they didn't even need to tell us what to do because we were in those shoes. Like some bros hit pledges and then when those pledges became brothers themselves, it's like we're going to do the same thing because I went through the same thing. So that's why this cycle is never going to stop. There was only that one instance where I physically, like, assault, well, I hit, I hit one of the pledges. It, like, did they get a question wrong? Yeah. I, I asked them, I was like, okay, so tell me, what is my least favorite course? They would just name a random course that they probably heard me take, and I was like, wrong, and then punch. You punched them in the face? Yeah. And then what happened? Did people like say anything? Did like did anyone egg you on? Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. The other brothers in the background were like, Yeah, you go get him. And then other brothers were like, Yeah, that's what's gonna happen you when y'all don't know shit. But even when I pulled back, there was still someone else who would do the same thing. So even if I decided to like I'm not gonna do that to this to these pledges anymore, there was always someone that was gonna do it. Somebody who would come in drunk as fuck throw beer cans at him, kick him, hit him, punch him, throw him against a wall, push him, shove him. There's always going to be someone. I still regret it. As someone who who eventually did the hazing, I would completely regret it. But yeah, I would definitely take it back. Like, And I don't want them to have those memories about me because I still have those flashbacks when... Our, our, those brothers were hitting me and hazing me. 
eventually like when i left i disaffiliated remember i mentioned that i hit someone i can i told them i was like hey listen i really don't know what the fuck i was doing i was out of control i was please i told them like please try to understand what happened to you was the same thing that happened to me so yeah if i could take it back i definitely would snapped Some frats try to draw a boundary for how far they can take the hazing. In terms of like uh, a hazing standpoint, the line is very strict in a sense that you know that they're going to be, if you can tell that they're uncomfortable with it or you can look back on the situation and say that is something that made them very uncomfortable, that's where the line is. They're just being wild. Like, even if they're not trying to do it, they're just trying to scare you. Like, it ends up happening, you know? Like, fucking their grip slips on some shit and it actually ends up being thrown at you or whatever. Here's Cordell from Beta Theta Pi at Penn State. This scar right here on my forehead is from pledging, from being hazed. Cordell's bid acceptance night included a drinking obstacle course called The Gauntlet. Because of an exam... Cordell missed the gauntlet, and so by the time he showed up to the frat house, brothers were ordering Cordell to catch up to his pledge class, who was already belligerent. And at this point, the gauntlet was over. So instead, everybody was sort of coming up to me with with like wine bags and saying, just chug this pledge, chug the wine bag. And I didn't really know what was going on. I just went along with everything. And the floor was slippery because they were taking alcohol and and they were pouring it all over the ground. Mm -hmm. Before you know it, I was so intoxicated and I didn't realize how slippery the floor was. So I I like did like a cartwheel. (laughs) I landed straight on my forehead, straight on my face right here. And all of a sudden there's just blood everywhere gushing out, rushing out of my forehead. And I knew right away that I didn't need medical assistance. I didn't know what I was going to do. I walked over to the bar and right away I tried, I tried taking pictures of my forehead and the ghost brother grabs my phone out of my hand. No evidence of the hazing going on in here. So they did not want there to be pictures. They did not want me to make a phone call and, and be taken out of the house. That was a big thing. Like injured people were not allowed to leave the house and have other people know that their injury came from this fraternity house. So they brought in an alumni who told me he was a doctor. He says, this is insane. He goes to me, don't worry, I'm a doctor and I'm going to sit you all up. I don't know what, I think he put some bandages on my head. Um, They took me up to his son's room because his son was an active member and I laid on the bed and I think I threw up on the floor and they got very angry. So then they took me up to the attic. The next morning, they had the story so they said, okay, tell the nurse that you fell at 6 a.m. So they said, okay, he has to go there and tell them that he fell at 6 a.m. He has to tell them that the, the floor was being mopped and he fell. This was like like this fake backstory mm-hmm. that they're like, oh, say this if they ask. Like it was like, but I wasn't the one to like check myself in. It was the assistant pledge master who went in and said, hey, this is my friend who needs help. So the pledge master dropped me off, the assistant pledge master dropped me off at the clinic. And then from there, I had to go back to the house and help clean the house up from the hazing party the night before. And then it just kind of went on as if like it never happened. Life went on for the beta boys. 
just like it never happened. Until one semester later, when a pledge named Tim Piazza would be the one to take the fall during the exact same hazing event. The same gauntlet that Tim Piazza went through, my pledge class had to go through it as well. Just like Cordell, Tim too would face a head injury from this hazing event. But for Tim, there was no time to game plan. He needed medical attention ASAP. This is like immediate 911 hospital urgent now. But that's not what ended up happening. In February of 2017, Tim Piazza was killed after being hazed in the Beta Theta Pi house at Penn State. After falling down a full flight of stairs, it took the Beta brothers more than 12 hours to call for help. Because of this culture of secrecy, Built to hide the H-word, Tim Piazza lost his life. That's next episode. This episode was written, recorded, produced, and edited by myself. Lucy Taylor. Story editor and production supervisor, Megan Thompson. Audio engineer, Nile Gatlia. If you'd like to listen to next week's episode now, join us on Patreon at the Dismantler level at patreon.com snapped. And stay in the loop with us on TikTok and Instagram at snapsthepodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday.